Hello, and welcome to the Career Builders Podcast. I'm Mike Bird. I'm Lisa Plain. And today we are joined by a very special guest, Ken Coleman of the Ken Coleman Show. We're going to talk about his newest book called Paycheck to Purpose. Ken is the number one best-selling author of The Proximity Principle and a nationally syndicated host of the Ken Coleman Show. Pulling from his own personal struggles, missed opportunities, and career successes, Ken helps people discover what they were born to do and provides practical tips to make their dream job a reality. The Ken Coleman Show is a caller-driven career show that helps listeners who are stuck in a job they hate or are searching for something more out of their career. His book was just released yesterday at the time of recording, November 9th, Paycheck to Purpose. We're going to talk about that now. Ken is joining us from Nashville, Tennessee. And Ken, welcome to the Career Builders Podcast. Thanks for having me. Excited to be with you. Likewise. It is a real honor to be able to speak to someone who uh, talks to so many different people all of the time about career stuff. And I'd be curious to know, could you share a little bit about how you basically became America's career coach? Well, I became that when some awesome uh, publicists in our company decided to come up with that title and they started putting it out there and people went with it. So uh, that's always kind of funny to hear. But, you know, um, we started the Ken Coleman Show four and a half years ago with the purpose of providing an opportunity for people to get coached in the moment on answering the question and then doing something about the answer to the question, what should I do with my life? What am I here for? And, um, you know, I, everything I do is built from the premise that we were all created to fill a unique role. That means we are needed, but then that means we must do it. And I don't separate relational purpose and professional purpose. I think those are two sides of every human being, but they are inextricably connected because we know from data that a person who is on purpose in their work, uh, it makes them better in their personal lives, you know, and, and uh, we aren't just people who are supposed to go to work, collect a paycheck, go home and then have this other side of our lives. And work is not just this utilitarian function that allows us to live, but that's the dominant worldview of work. And so I've come at this thing and I'm taking on a pretty, you know, sizable hill here, uh, you know, to climb because I think so many people have different definitions of dream job. Uh, so many people just have just been conditioned, the environment they grew up in, the experience they've had so far is that work is a four-letter word and we just kind of put up with it. And if I can get a decent job or a good job, then that's the best I can hope for. And uh, I've got this other side of my life when in all reality, you don't have to teach a kid to, to say no. You don't have to teach a toddler to take a toy from another toddler. And you don't have to teach a human being to ask the question, what should I do with my life? Nobody has to tell us or teach us that. So where does that come from? It comes from the fact that we all long to make a difference, to make a contribution. So we inherently know there's more, and yet we don't act that way. And, and so that's my answer. That's how I became this guy because I went through my own shift and career crisis. And as I began to do the self-discovery to look for the clues in what I had started out in pursuing politics to what I felt like I wanted to pursue broadcasting and wrestle with all of the fear and the doubt and all of that stuff that comes with that and the uncertainty and, and having to provide and all those things. And having gone through that myself and then realizing, wait a second, the struggle that I went through and the process that I created in helping myself rediscover or see a different path to do the same very purposeful work. That's why I do what I do because I have felt what people feel who don't have that answer or they have the answer. They don't know how to get there or they have that answer. I know what I'm supposed to do with my life. I know how to get there, but failure, finances, families holding me back. I know what those people are feeling. I know what they're thinking. And um, I just think that every human is too important to not at least try to reach with this message, that you have a unique contribution that the world needs from you. And that greatness has nothing to do with 
the size of your following or the size of your bank account. Your greatness is completely focused on the unique contribution that you make. And in that contribution, you are great. That's such great. I mean, it it really resonates with me. I went through a pretty major transition myself in my career. And I think that it's so great that you're, you have this book that's guiding people through because we're, we do ask that question for when we're young, we're asked that question so many times, but we're never really given the guidance to really figure out what it is. We're, we sort of continue chasing status or money or whatever that is. And then we get to a point where we're like, okay, we actually do need more. How do we figure this out? It's really true. It's sad, you know, and by the way, we're taking that on too. Um, I'm, I'm going to come after the education system. We've got to get this in the education system. It's so, to me, it's so um, frustrating that we don't teach this. And, uh, you know, our, 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 I would say global, but certainly our Western education system is turning kids into test takers, not pathfinders. And this mm-hmm. stuff is pretty simple. And that's why I'm so excited about this book. It's, I'm, I'm never the smartest guy in any room. But I have figured this out for myself, and I've also uh, done this. I've, I've used this methodology to coach almost 5,000 people live on the air. And I created an assessment, the Get Clear Career Assessment, that in 20 minutes can give people a really clear snapshot of what they do best, their talent, what work they love to do most, passion, and what results they want to create mission. And when those three elements of every human are in alignment, then there, you're, there, it's like a, neak, a, a blinking neon arrow pointing to the world at work to show you multiple jobs and career paths that will allow you to work on purpose and, and be who you were created to be. And I'm just, uh, I, I'm just fed up with this cultural pressure to send people to college to get a degree they don't want that they probably can't even use and they certainly can't afford. And all they're then trying to do is scramble for a safe job and, uh, and then I'm dealing with those people every day and, and they long for more. And, uh, and so we're doing this, we're doing this all the time to our kids. So anyway, that, that I don't want to go on a too big of a rabbit trail, but um, I'm deeply passionate about this issue because it is, it seems intimidating and scary and almost mythical to answer. And it's not, and you all know this, the book couldn't be any simpler. And, and not only, and I'm just talking about get clear stage one. I mean, there are seven stages that will show you how you climb to your professional pinnacle. Yeah. I, I love the, the simplicity of the book. I think there's great elegance and simplicity and it's a great roadmap for people who might feel lost, might feel like the, the purpose part of their life is not in check. And I I'm with you briefly on that statement around how entrenched uh, this sort of lostness is in our society because it's, not really taught otherwise. Um, so I, I appreciate that part of your mission. Uh, going to your book a little bit more at a high level, right? It's it's a great plan for someone who wants to make a transition and change their working life. And it sounds like from the way you look at it, change their whole life. Um, can you walk us through the plan just briefly a little bit more? Yeah. Yeah. I'll just do it real quick and then let you guys decide where we want to go. Stages are, stage one, get clear right? That's get clear on what I do best talent, what work I love to do passion, what results matter deeply to me mission. We got to get clear on who we uniquely are. Once we get clear on that, we begin to see all these opportunities to be able to be that. Now I got to get qualified. That's stage two. So what do I got to do to get qualified to get my ticket to the dance? While I'm getting qualified, I can be in stage three consecutively. That's get connected. So I'm getting connected. Relationships are the currency of progress. Connections, connections, connections. They lead to opportunities. Um, And that's going to eventually give you an opportunity to step in. Stage four, get started. I'm starting. I'm on the ladder, if you will. All right, now, after I start, I'm going to be eventually moving quickly into, well, we hope, stage five, where I'm starting the process. I'm getting better. Now I'm going to get into stage five, get promoted. That's when I begin to move up the ladder. And we stay in that stage a good while, realistically. Uh, and then eventually we get promoted up into the dream job, stage six. And then when I'm in stage six, I'm also now in stage seven consecutively as well, because stage seven is give yourself away. So you'll note that all six stages, get clear, get qualified, get connected, get started, get promoted, are gets. 
And then that final stage is give yourself away. So when I get the dream job, I'm now on top of the mountain, my view changes. And so the income is there and now it's all about impact and I want to increase the impact. So final stage is give yourself away where you're working like no one else. So that's a quick summary of all seven stages. Yeah, we're definitely going to dive into a lot more of these stages. I'd love to just go back for a second and talk about the title. So Mm -hmm. paycheck to purpose. I find that there's two schools of thought around the world word purpose in a career context. On the one hand, it's centered around the benefits of being more purposeful in your career, uh, in your career choices. But then the other is that it can put a lot of pressure on people to have purpose. Can you tell us a bit more about your definition of purpose? Yeah, well, I certainly don't want it to put pressure on anybody, but I I, I would also say that um, if it's putting pressure on somebody, then they've, they've totally misunderstood the fact that they have purpose. So I'm glad you asked it that way. The way I define purpose very simply is I it's my why. I know why I am here. So if I look at a tool, the purpose of a hammer, what is the purpose of the hammer? Why? Does the hammer exist? Yeah. Hit the nail. Simple enough. Why do you exist? Yeah, I know. I know. Purpose is not, it's a big scary thing for people, but it's actually really simple. Um, You know, what is the purpose of a ceiling fan? Why does it exist? To move air, to cool people off. So we could keep going down this exercise. And so if I look at you two and I go, well, what is your purpose? Well, again, I talked about this earlier. We have relational purpose. So if you're a husband, then you've got purpose in that role. If you're a father, then you have purpose in that role. If you're a son, and it goes on and on and on and on and on. So we don't get to say, oh, that's too much pressure. I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to have a purpose. Well, you can say that all you want to, but you do. You can ignore it. You can choose not to discover it. You can choose not to do anything about it, but you have purpose. You don't, you don't get to opt out on that, in my opinion. Now, that's my opinion, but I'm pretty much right. Because if you are a human, then there's a reason why you're here on the planet. Mm-hmm. You don't get to deny that, uh, but people will, and that's fine. But this book, when I say from paycheck to purpose, it's not about... Uh, and I like how you delineated that. It's not just about being purposeful, you know, and focused and intentional. It is really about filling that unique role that you were created to fill. And by the way, when I teach talent, passion, mission, and on purpose, and, and I talk about the sweet spot as a great example of that, there's more than one job, more than one career path, and even more than one dream job in that sweet spot. So I actually am trying to free people up from that pressure of, oh, how do I choose? You know, like it's one thing and you're going to screw your life up. No. In fact, the methodology that I teach uh, in this book gives you tremendous freedom because you go, oh, as long as I'm using what I do best, talent, and I'm using that talent to do work that I really, really love, passion, and I'm producing results through that work that connect to me and my values, great news. I'm on purpose. And, 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 And I'm in my sweet spot. And so, it, 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 it should relieve all of that pressure, in fact. I think that that description that you just gave is going to help so many people really feel a little bit more connected to the idea of purpose, because I love that you start with just the hammer and the nail. That makes so much sense. And it, yeah, I'm really excited for people to hear this. Yeah, it really is. We've made purpose this big, hairy, scary thing. And it's not at all. Yeah, I love it. Um, I'd love to know a little bit more, maybe you alluded to this a little bit already, but what do you think leads people to a place where they're simply working for a paycheck? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I think there's a couple of answers. People fall into work as just a paycheck based on experience and environment. So let's go, let's go with environment first, right? Cause that's a big shaper of, of who we are. So if you grew up in a home where work was a four-letter word, like you, you, you know, we, we pick up things as kids, right? More is caught than taught. And so if you grew up in an environment, your grandparents, your Uncle Larry, who came over on Thanksgiving and talked about how he couldn't wait to quit his job because it was such a nightmare. You know, if you grew up in an environment where work was spoken of um, <laughs> with disdain uh, and misery, well, 
that's going to shape your idea of work, right? Um, the first brush we have with work, uh, certainly in, in America, is homework, right? Ugh. You know, I mean, there are some kids. I wasn't one of them. There's some kids that, yeah, homework didn't bother them. It was easy for them. Maybe they even liked it. But most kids don't like homework, right? We call it homework. And so we've so there's a negative. And then we hear Uncle Larry and Grandpa and Dad always talk about his job, how he hated it. So you get this environment where work is this necessary evil is how it feels, right? So that's the environment piece. Then the experience piece is if you, if you, you know, start out and you don't really have any purpose in your work, you don't really know, and you kind of fall into stuff like the average American does. They go to school and they get a degree and they think it's a safe degree and they're trying to find a safe job. So they just kind of like get the first thing that comes their way because, oh crap, if I don't get a job right out of school, I'm a loser. And so I got to take this. And I hear that call all the time on the Ken Coleman show. I fell into this. Well, first of all, you didn't fall into it. That's their way of saying, I didn't want to do it. I don't even know why I did it other than I just kind of said yes. Okay. So then your experience with work is no purpose at all. No zest for the work passion, right? No connection to the work mission may not even be that good at it, or maybe you are good at it, but you don't have the other two factors. And so it's just a thing. So experience and environment lead people to just be okay with a decent job. Um, uh, you know, a not so great job, but it, it pays. And then what happens is once you're in that situation, because of your environment and your experience, you've not looked for anything else. You've not wondered about anything. You've wandered. Uh, this is really good. I didn't plan to say this. I'm going to break this down for you. I've been talking to my team about this. Most people are wanderers. And I'm trying to create wanderers because when we come into this planet, I'm going to keep answering your question, but I'm going to add this little nugget here. When we come into this world, I'm a parent of three. I don't know if you've got kids or not, but you were a kid once. And every kid, once they begin to talk, the, they become question askers. They ask hundreds of questions a day. We know this. Toddlers ask hundreds of questions a day. Now, we parents get a little, you know, you get tired of, a of answering, why, daddy, why? And you answer, then it leads to another why. And so it gets a little irritating. But these kids aren't doing this to be obnoxious. They're trying to get to the bottom of things. So we're hardwired for curiosity. It's fascinating, isn't it? And yet, studies from the University of Michigan shows that by the time we get to the eighth grade, most Americans are only asking two to three questions a day. And we don't teach our kids to ask questions at school. We teach them how to answer questions. All right, it's like study, 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 answer the question on the test. And we've turned them into memorization machines. So by the time you get to the ninth grade, now there's all this pressure from society, schools, parents, colleges, whatever, whatever, where now your GPA matters, your SAT, your ACT, and all this kind of stuff. And now it's this big, giant pressure we put on these kids because it's, it's no longer about learning. It's not about discovering who they are. It's about getting freaking qualified to go to college. And so we are beating the curiosity out of people. They're wanderers. So then they go to college. They, oh, well, I think I might get this degree. I'm going to change my major four times. I'm going to get it. I fell into this, all this. And they wander around looking for, oh, I don't know, looking for a good job. And so the super highway is kind of like everybody's going this way towards the wandering. I want to get people to stay in that place of wondering that we were born into, that curiosity where the antenna's up, dee -dee 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 -dee, and we're asking why, but we're asking why am I here? What talents do I have? What work, when I think about it, makes my heart beat fast? What work, when I engage in it, everything else on the planet stands still? What results make my heart swell? Who are the people I want to help? What are the problems I want to solve for them? What are the solutions to those problems that those people have? That Man, I'd have the juice if I got to do that. See, that comes from a place of wondering. So I just want to throw that out there. That's the undercurrent of all this stuff. Now, back to the finishing your answer. Um, Can I actually jump in there? Yeah, yeah, go for it. 
I love this idea. And I feel like you just made me have my own little aha moment here because I was an accountant for 10 years and I always was an answer person. That was like the thing that I needed to have the answers for everybody around me. And when I switched careers, the thing that I love about being a career coach is constantly asking more questions. And there's never a specific answer that I'm necessarily looking for, but it's just being curious about what comes next. And I wonder if that would be similar for other people that once they get to that point of finding a career or a purpose that allows them to continue asking questions throughout their career instead of just getting to a point and then they're kind of done if that also plays into it. So thank you. I just wanted to add that. Yeah, I think it's great. I mean, and that's where I'm at, you know, and I think that's where you're at, you know, it's like you're asking all these questions as a career coach and it's not even about the answer for you. It's about helping the person you're coaching see the answer themselves. That's what I do on the air. I, mm-hmm. I got to tell you, I've done almost 5,000 calls. I pretty much know where the call's going 30 to 45 seconds in because I've done it so much. Mm-hmm. But I'm digging for them. I want them to come to the realization. And, and then one of the things that you said I think is absolutely good, I want to say yes and amen to, and that is that when you get on purpose in your work, the questions you ask are so much more fun. It's the -hmm. questions I'm asking every day are, how do I help more people? What's the best new tool that I can develop to help more people? Where are the people at? Where are the people at that I'm trying to help? Why are they over there? What are they saying? Those are fun questions because there's purpose in those questions. Uh, So anyway, I I gave you a really long answer, but but I'm going to tell you something. It's really important, I think, that people understand that I believe there really is a fork in the road. And I think most people, unfortunately, are on the path of wandering their entire life. And I'm trying to move people into a place of wondering because when I'm wondering, it starts out with, I wonder why I'm here. I wonder what's unique about me. Ooh, I wonder where I can make my unique contribution. Ooh, I wonder how I can do that bigger and better. Ooh, I wonder how many more people I can help. Oh, I wonder what the next version of this is going to be. Boy, I wonder what the next dream is going to be. See, that's wondering versus wandering. It's huge. Uh, It sounds like it's sort of this forward-moving treadmill, too. It's this positive feedback loop where you explore a question, an amazing insight that gives you direction comes around. And if you continue to ask those questions, more direction, more clarity, versus the opposite, the, the wandering. I love that. The wandering versus wondering analogy. I'm going to keep that one. So you've been talking about the three parts of the clarity piece, which is talent, passion, and mission. But you also talked about finding your flow with that being the main parts. Can you tell us more about the idea of flow and how it all comes together? Yeah, sure. Well, flow was coined by a guy named Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, who just uh, recently passed away a legend in the psychology field and studied this idea for over 30 years of flow, which he essentially is saying that, um, that when we are uh, using, and this is my language, when we use what we do best, the talent, and we're doing work that we have deep interest in, uh, and I say that's passion, then we experience a form of ecstasy. And ecstasy has been sexualized or it's been referred to as a drug which then creates this euphoric feeling. But if we get to it at its purity, and that's what he was saying is, is that it is a form of euphoria and it is. Um, I absolutely am feeling that right now. And I will, as soon as this conversation is over, when I'm, you know, when I did TV this morning on a national television network and it's kind of, I have no idea what's coming at me and I, and I'm, and I have to teach when I take a phone call and I coach somebody on the Ken Coleman show, or I speak and I deliver an address, or I do a Q and a live in the room with thousands of people. And I got one person, I've got to dive into. I I am in a state of euphoria in the middle of that, and and even, you know, thirty minutes afterward, it's a true high, a pure high, and so that's what flow is. I mean, technically, the guy who kind of coined the term around this, um, but again, it comes from what's happening there is my head and my heart are fully engaged. You know, it's like, and it, it, it gets back to that my brain is firing on all pistons in, in the technical form of the work. And my heart is fully engaged because I'm having a blast, right? You, you enjoyed it so much. And so those things coming together, it really does create a, a, a euphoric state because you go, 
I am operating in my sweet spot. It's, you know, the athletic analogy is just truly the best. When you hit a baseball in the sweet spot of a bat or of a golf club, a ball on a golf club or a ball on a tennis racket, and you hit it in the sweet spot of the instrument, uh, it, it's effortless. You feel you feel it. You know you hit it, but you, you it's almost like a click mm-hmm. as opposed to a thud if you hit it not in the sweet spot. And this is sadly what it's like for people who aren't working on purpose in their sweet spot. Life feels like a thud. Everything about it, it's like awkward and awful. And, you know, if you hit a baseball on a bat too low, it's like a, it's like a obnoxious shock and it, it's awful. It's a terrible feeling. Um, you hit it in the wrong spot of the bat or break the bat, you know, versus hit it on the sweet spot. You know, you feel it. And what does the baseball do? Maximum performance, speed distance. So, you know, that's what's going on here. And, and, and so when you experience it, by the way, if you've never experienced it, you're listening to this, you're kind of going, eh, wait a second. You've actually seen people who, who work like this. You've seen them, whether it's on television or in real life. And, and you just sit back and you either have said it or you've heard somebody say of them, they're just a natural. They were born for this. Mm-hmm. I mean, we say this all the time. Mm-hmm. We see this all the time. So it's not like, you know, this isn't some like, you know, kooky scientific laboratory discovery. It's right there in front of us. And the fact of the matter is we all have that. Most people probably have a point in time where somebody has said that to them. Oh, you're just a natural at that. That just comes so easy to you. Absolutely. So I will tell you, I'm glad you brought that up. If you're not clear now, we'll teach you how to do it in the book. We've got a great assessment as well. That's a digital online assessment that will walk you through this. But those are the clues. When somebody said that, go back to that. Mm-hmm. You know, go back to that and go, huh, what were they saying? What specifically were they calling out there? What do I, what am I willing to acknowledge that I know that this comes easy for me? Mm-hmm. Flashing back to all of those shank drives that I had over the course of the summer versus the moments where it all clicked and just so many powerful analogies. Um, and you share a really good set in the chapter around connecting. I'd love to jump to that your take on networking versus connecting, I found really interesting. Mm-hmm. We um, interviewed Dory Clark, another author who does a lot of thinking on career development as well. She talks about not making an ask of a new connection until a year has passed since you've been introduced. That's her personal rule. Does that resonate with you or your approach to sort of just having that long-term vision when meeting people? Uh, I don't want to disagree with her. I, w- I, I didn't talk to her. I don't have a lot of context. So I'll simply say that um, my view is, is that I teach people to connect right out of the gate and ask them for something. But I think she's probably being much more specific. What I'm telling people to ask for is knowledge and wisdom. And I will tell you that when you sit down with somebody who's influential, that's successful, and you say, hey, I want to pick your brain because, number one, I respect you. Number two, I think you've got some knowledge and wisdom for me. Knowledge is facts. Wisdom is opinion. Okay. If you've got some decisions you want them to weigh in on, you've got some forks in the road, some options, and you want their wisdom as they begin to kind of, okay, oh, look at this. And here's what I would do. Then there's fact. What did you do? What would you tell me I needed to do to get better? And here's what I know about successful people. Two things. When you ask them for lunch or coffee or a Zoom call or a phone call, and you express humility, like, hey, I want to be where you are one day. And I know that you can teach me something and I've got some stuff I, I want to learn. I'm going to be ready to go. I'm not going to waste your time. I'm going to make it count because I know you can really uh, give me some great insight. Uh, I'm super grateful if you consider it. And, and I approach with humility as a human sponge. And I'm asking questions. I'm learning. Um, successful people, A, want you to be successful. They, and they, they say, hey, come on in. The water's really nice over here. And they get value. You actually are giving them something. Here's what you're giving them. You're giving them value by making them feel valuable. Think about it. You're the student. They're the teacher. Everybody loves to share their opinion. And successful people as much as anybody, if not more. So I'm not saying I disagree with her. I don't know the context, but what she's saying, I think if you're asking for something significant, yes. But if you're asking for uh, an opportunity to learn from them, 
uh, I'm fine with that ask. And, and, and then, and then not only are you asking for knowledge and wisdom, but you also say, Hey, who are some other people that you recommend I connect with? And they will connect you. Now there's no guarantee they're going to give you a job or make some unbelievable introduction for you. They may not connect you at all. They may think of you six months down the road, a year down the road. I mean, I've got story after story after story of just great connections where I added value to other people. And then later on they added value to me. So this idea that, um, uh, don't ask anything of your connections. Fundamentally, I disagree with that, but I just told you what you should ask for knowledge and wisdom, and then other suggestions and connections. Uh, I think that's totally fine because good people, healthy people, successful people will do that. Yeah. I, I think you two are more on the same page than, um, I alluded to in my setup of the question. And I, I appreciate how you've clarified the kind of ask to make, uh, because yeah, people, I really love what you said about how, when you give someone an opportunity to help you, you're making them feel more valuable and you are adding value to them. I think that's something that really intimidates a lot of people who are trying to build new connections. It's like, well, what do I have to add to this person's life? I love how you put that. And, uh, yeah, I would say you Ken, and, and Dory are actually talking a, a similar message in a different way. And I, I think that's great that our listeners can hear both of them. So that, thank you. Let's revisit the education question and the get qualified part of from paycheck to purpose. Education is changing rapidly, sort of. It's changing slowly, maybe in university settings. It's changing rapidly in more of a digital context. What do you think are the hurdles for someone who is looking at um, the idea of going back to school in order to make a career change? How should they be making and weighing that decision? Yeah, I'm glad you asked this. I'm very passionate about this. Two very simple questions you got to answer. First question is, is it the only way? Is education, fill in the blank, whatever that is, is it the only way for me to get a ticket to play? All right. So obviously, if you want to be a lawyer or a medical doctor, the answer is clearly yes. All right. For an example. The second question is, is it the best way? This doesn't have to be the only way. But the second question is, is it the best way? If it's yes to either one of those, then I would say do it. But do it the right way. Be patient. Cash flow your way through it. The dream's not going anywhere. Don't wreck your life taking out a loan for something that is going to end up truly taking forever for you to get out of it. It's going to make the very thing you you think you're getting qualified to enjoy, it's going to become a bane of your existence, a, a millstone around your neck. Um, but if the answer is no to either one of those, is it the only way? Is it the best way? Great news. There's a much more affordable, less time consuming option and go do that because nobody cares where you got trained. Nobody cares where we went to school. I'll illustrate. I would just ask the audience to play along at home. When was the last time you went to the doctor or the dentist or maybe procured the services of a lawyer or something like that? Just think about it really quick. Boom, we've got it. At any point in the interaction, did you ask them where they went to school or did you tell them to go pull their diploma off the wall and show it to you? The chances are, no, you did not. Why? Because you don't care. Why don't you care? Because you trusted that they were competent based on a myriad of factors, largely word of mouth, somebody else. So, so this, this notion that like we put all this angst and, and unnecessary focus on a sexy degree from a big name school. Nobody cares. The only thing people care about is, can you help them? And by the way, your employer doesn't care either. The only thing your employer cares about is, can you help them win? They don't care where you went to school and neither does your customer. So get over it. That's so true. And a lot of times people come out of school, like these big schools and have the theoretical knowledge, but don't necessarily have the skills that they need to be performing the job anyway. So, I mean, there's a rise in the boot camp style education where people are learning very hands-on skills that in a much shorter time that I think is so beneficial for people. Oh yeah. Trust me, folks, five years from now, higher education is going to look so differently than it does now. It's going to blow your mind. You heard it here. I'm telling you. Yeah. Agreed. Now the next part, in your book, you talk about the action phase. And I personally see so many people getting stuck 
in the action phase of the career change. And you address this in your book, which I think is amazing. What would you say are the biggest challenges that people face when taking action? And what would you say are your top two tips to overcoming these types of challenges? Yeah, I, I mean, we talk a lot about this in Get Started, right? We talk about, you know, the mindset, you know, for this climb. We, we, there's so much we unpack here. I would just say this. I think the greatest enemies of starting, the greatest enemies of progress are fear and doubt and pride. And there's so much stuff in here. Um, and and I, I, I'm trying to decide, gosh, this was some of my favorite chapters in the book. So these enemies of progress, I want to talk about just briefly those things. And I want to talk about one of my favorite things to talk about, which is the reticular activating system and how the brain works and how we got to treat the brain. Okay. So real quick, the enemies of progress are fear, doubt, and pride. So fear, you know, looks like um, I'm afraid of the unknown. This is the biggest fear we all have, right? If you've ever driven in fog or driving rain, can't see the end of the car, it's terrifying. You ever walk in a cave where you literally can't see your hand in front of your face? Oh man, I've done that once. Freaky stuff, right? Because you don't know what's in front of you. It's terrifying. Fear of the unknown is crippling. Um, fear of rejection. I mean, this goes back to when we were little kids in elementary school. We wrote the little note. Do you like me? Yes, no, or maybe. And we just were just, I mean, terrified anxiety. Are they going to check no? Or even maybe. Like, we want to belong. And so this idea of putting ourselves out there, starting a business, you know, and doing something that's so personal to us, well, the flip side of that is, is the fear of being rejected. Okay, and trust me, I got stories. I share them in the book. I've been rejected. My name's on the show. My name's on the book. People don't buy my stuff. I got news for you. It's personal. Whether I want it to be or not, they don't mean it that way. That's how I take it. I'm a human being. Doubt, big voice of doubt. Um, I don't think I have what it takes. I just don't think I got what it takes. I don't think I got the talent. I don't think I got the chutzpah, whatever it is. Another voice of doubt is uh, it's too late. Uh, I missed my opportunity. Should have done this when I was 20 which is a total lie, by the way, total garbage. Um, and then pride, uh, two voices here. Um, totally worry what everybody's going to say. If I leave this really awesome job with great benefits, great retirement package, they're going to think I'm nuts. I've lost my mind. Early midlife crisis. I, I went through all that. Uh, another voice of doubt is, uh, excuse me, another voice of pride is, I don't want to be that guy who asked for help. And I don't, if people are busy. They don't want to help me. They don't have time to help me. I don't, I don't want to look like I need help. Okay, that's a quick review. We go deep in the book. Now, I want to talk about this, the, the, the power of the mind. So neuroscience has discovered that our brain has this thing in it called a reticular activating system. And essentially, it's the filter of the brain. And it acts like a camera. But our thoughts control what it takes pictures of. Okay. So you know this, I detail this in the book. Fascinating study. They had people come in a room and they put a video, they put a TV and a VCR or whatever. This is years ago in front of these people. And they said, now look, we're about ready to show you a basketball drill, basketball team doing a drill where they're going down the floor, passing it to each other. And we want you to record, and it was, do this for 10 minutes. And we want you to record how many times the ball's passed. That's the only thing we want you to document. Just document or how many times you see the ball pass? So these people go, okay, great. So they press play. So this video plays on this TV screen. Everybody's looking at it like this. And, and uh, about halfway through the drill, a guy walks out in the middle of the drill, in the middle of the floor in a gorilla costume and just stands there for about 30 seconds. Doesn't do anything, just stands there, right? And then walks away. When they got done with the study, only three or four people out of the 20-some people even noticed the gorilla. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Now, that is unbelievably fascinating. Why? Because they're, they did what they were told, and they had intent focus on how many times the ball was being passed. So all they were focused on were the passes. They didn't notice anything else. I'll give you a real-life example. I went to your audience real quick at home while you're listening. It's the last time you bought a car. Think about it. Got it. How many times did you see that car driving around the three to five to seven days after you bought it, and you're like, the car's everywhere. I haven't seen it before I bought it. Did that car magically just appear? 
No, this is a moment of intense focus in the purchase process. You're excited about it. Now you see it everywhere. That's the reticular activating system. What we focus on, what we think about, becomes what our brain goes, oh, that's what we're looking for? I'm going to go show you and find evidence of that. So if we have victim thinking, if we're thinking about fears and doubts and pride, those voices that I illustrated, we're going to see evidence for that everywhere. Our brain's going to find it for us. That's what it's supposed to do. Now let's flip it. If I am expectant, if I am focused on the prize and I know the mountaintop and I know the opportunities I'm looking for and I know the kind of people I want to connect with and I know the type of job I'm looking for, guess what? Our brain is going to see it. We're going to see people we didn't see before. It happens all the time. And so I write about that because I want people to understand that we cannot control the thoughts that come in our mind. When I say this, sometimes people freak out. Please listen to the rest of the sentence. We cannot control what thoughts come in our mind, but we can control if we dwell on those thoughts. I mean, we've all had thoughts before that if, it, if they were revealed, we'd be terrified and embarrassed. But I can have a thought come in, a hateful thought. But if I immediately go, that's a hateful thought. That's wrong. I shouldn't think that. And I get rid of it. Then I'm moving on. William James is, is known as the father of modern psychology. And one of the things he said so powerfully, he said, no matter how absurd something is, if it is repeated often enough, people will believe it. Now watch this. I'm going to personalize this. No matter how absurd my thoughts are, if I think them often enough, I will believe them. And when I believe these thoughts, these absurdities become realities. And then I act on them. So it is vitally important that when we have these thoughts of fear and doubt and pride, that we examine them. And we say, are they telling us the truth? Sometimes they are. Sometimes fear and doubt are protecting us. Pride never is. Pride's always ugly. So I just, I just tell you that. But sometimes fear and doubt is a logical response and it's kind of, it's a, okay. Um, but once we identify if fear and doubt are telling us the truth or not, if it's not, then we go, okay, this is, a, this is, this is the wrong kind of thought. This is it's not true. I'm not going to starve. I'm not going to pivot to this, get qualified and go get hired and, and fail spectacularly and live under a bridge and starve. So I'm going to stop thinking that. And so I'm going to switch and I'm going to focus on the truth. And when I focus on the truth, I go, hey, I'm clear. I read Ken Coleman's book from Paycheck to Purpose. I took the assessment. I know I'm talented enough to do this. I've got gobs of talent to do this. Oh, I know I love this work. I'm passionate about it. And I know that this work is going to create results that I have a deep value connection to. It matters to me. These are the results I want to put in the world. Well, so now I'm retreating to clarity. And I go, wait a second. Fear and doubt's wrong. I go back to clarity. Ah, oh, I'm clear. Well, watch what happens. I get confident. Clarity leads to confidence. And then confidence will give me courage when I need it. But absent of clarity, I won't have the confidence to step out. And I won't have the courage to stay. Well, that's my little speech on, on, on mindset and focus and how it all works together. We got to be careful what we allow to stay in our head. So true. And one of the things that I've been talking to clients about recently, when often when people sign up with me, they start getting these opportunities out of, out of nowhere in air quotes. And I love what you're saying about, because I'm looking for a car right now. And the same thing has happened to me where I suddenly start seeing the car on the road all the time. I'm like, oh, they're everywhere. Mm -hmm. So it's really cool to have that analogy to put with your career that all of a sudden these opportunities are coming up, but they've been there all along. It's just now that you're seeing them. Yes, 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 yes. I mean, here's the deal. In stage three, I, un I talk about the proximity principle, which was my previous book, which was a deep dive on getting connected. But here's the deal. If if I walked down into the parking lot right now, Ramsey Solutions, and I saw some dude wandering around the parking lot aimlessly, I'm going to go up to the guy and go, hey, sir, can I help you? And if he said to me, yeah, I'm looking for a train. <laughs> what? I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm looking for a train. Any idea where I catch a train? What would I tell the guy? What would I tell him? 
There's no trains here? No, I'd say go to the train station, <laughs> right? If, if you want to catch a train, go to the train station. And so my point is, if you want an opportunity, get in that area, get in those spaces, get around people that are doing that work, get in places where that work is happening. Here's my point. We, are, we, we expect opportunity to come to us. It doesn't work that way. We've got to go where we want to be and keep showing up, whether that's people or places. And we talk about this in stage three, get connected in the book. And when we get there and we have a mindset back to what we're just talking about, Hey, I know if I get around these people and I get in these places, opportunity is going to eventually come to me. And I'm, I'm looking for more people to connect with more places to get into. And then that's when opportunity comes up to us. When we are in the right place, watch this, the right time happens. But if you're not in the right place, the right time cannot and will not happen. Crazy how that works. Like that. <laughs> Jedi mind tricks for career development and life success. I love it. Um, yeah, I know this stuff is so deep, but that's what's so hilarious about it. This stuff is so simple, but yeah. we got to teach people to, to how to think and how to act. Can we, we have some questions that we like to ask of everyone that we've had on our show. We've had a great conversation and if someone's tuning in now and hasn't read your book yet, I'm sure they're going to be compelled to go out and get it. Um, we would love to know your thoughts on a few things. I'll kick it over to Lisa to get this started. Yeah, so our first question is, what is the most fun you've had in your career so far? Uh, most fun. I love live Q&A. Um, I love you know, so that's on the show every day. I mean, that's essentially what that is. Um, but I really love it in a live crowd. I think the most fun I've ever had just from a professional standpoint is when I'm in a live event setting, there's thousands of people in the room and I've just spoken and we open it up to Q and A and people come up to mics in the aisles and I have no idea what's coming at me. And it's just this real back and forth. Um, that's about as fun as I have professionally. I, I just love that. Awesome. Sounds like it's exciting. Yeah. I love it. It freaks some people out. I dig it. That's awesome. <laughs> All right. Second question. What is the biggest risk you've taken in your career and how did it turn out? Without question, the biggest risk I ever took was saying yes to Dave Ramsey when he said, uh, I want you to do a, a radio show in front of me on Sirius XM. And I had just agreed to be a personality here at Ramsey. And I was supposed to be taking six months to work on methodology and kind of get, you know, kind of get prepared for this launch. And this opportunity with Sirius XM came in. And I'd never done coaching on air. I'd never done it on air. I'd done it in person, but I'd never done it on air. And it's a very different animal. And I was scared to death that I was going to screw it up and be awful. And Dave's good, Dave was going to say, you suck. And Sirius XM was going to say, you suck. Um, that was absolutely the biggest one uh, because it, I had to learn on the fly and mm -hmm. I had to embrace the suck. And I wouldn't want anybody to hear those first six weeks of shows. And I mean that. Um <laughs> But uh, it turned out really good. That's so awesome. far, so good. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, yeah, you'd hardly think that it was even possible that, uh, but it's true. You started from somewhere. We all start from somewhere. We got to live through the tough times before the really good ones come. Yeah. I'm curious to know, what's the best piece of career advice you've ever received? Uh, it, was, it was not just career advice, it was life advice. And because it was great life advice, it's obviously been terrific career advice. It was my pop. My dad said to me one time, I was a little kid, about nine years old. Oh, no, that's not true. About seven years old, which I look like a five-year-old. And uh, I was playing soccer for the first time, very excited. And this was back in the day when you didn't have equal playing time and you didn't get a trophy <laughs> just for showing up. I know, Stone Age. Some of you people are freaking out. But um, I wanted to play. I wasn't playing. And by the way, if I was the coach, I probably wouldn't have played me either for fear that if the ball hit me, I'd break in half. I mean, I was a little guy. And I remember one game not getting in and being heartbroken. And uh, I was in the backseat of the car kind of pouting. And my dad looked at me in the rearview mirror at a stoplight. I said, what's wrong, bud? And I couldn't talk. He said, hey, look at me. What's wrong? Get your chin up. I looked up, and when I made eye contact with my dad, I just lost it, you know, just sobbing. I just want to play. And uh, I'm sure he said several other things, but the thing that sticks out to me, he said to me, he goes, your time will come. He goes, you're going to get bigger and you're going to get better. And eventually you're going to play and you're going to score lots of goals. Just hang in there. Your time will come. And 
two years later, I led the league in scoring in that little league. I made the travel team. And my dad's statement became true, and it became an anthem for me. Um, your time will come. And I think that um, it is terrifically difficult to be patient when there's great passion involved. It's just hard. It's just who we are as humans. We want progress. We care deeply about something. We want it to happen for all the right reasons. And it's so hard to be patient. And uh, there's been many times like that where I've, I've struggled and gotten down a bit, discouraged. And that voice and that message comes back to me, your time will come. And so um, I pass that on to everybody else. Wise words, great ones to live by. Ken, where can people find out more about you, your book, anything else you wanted to plug and bring to our audience tonight? It has been a great conversation. I'll kick it to you. Well, thanks. I'd love for folks to engage at KenColeman.com. I'd love for them to check out the podcast uh, or on SiriusXM or YouTube, The Ken Coleman Show. Um, you guys have a heart for this. If I can coach your audience up a little bit, if you want to call in, it's a toll-free number. You can change your name, uh, change your location. If it's a sensitive call, we do that all the time. We want people to feel very, very safe. And um, it's free. So it's kind of worth what it costs you maybe. But, uh, you know, if you, if you feel stuck, I'd be happy to coach you. Give me a call. That's why I do what I do. Um, the book, of course, from paycheck to purpose, the assessment to get clear career assessment. It's a $40 bundle right now. You get both that amazing tool. You get your own purpose statement that's filled in with your results, plus the book to kind of guide you up your mountain, all that at KenColeman.com. Follow me on social media. I would love to engage. And, um, at the end of the day, I, I consider myself a coach period coach of people. And, uh, so if I can help you join us over at KenColeman.com. Fantastic. Lisa, anything you want to add there? Oh, just thank you so much for this conversation. There's so many incredible insights that you've shared and we really appreciate your time. You guys are doing good work. Don't stop. Thanks for having me. Likewise, Ken, it has been a pleasure and an honor. We'll call it a week at that for the Career Builders podcast. I'm Mike Bird. I'm Lisa Plain. Ken Coleman from Paycheck to Purpose. Check it out. Check out his show, The Coach is listening and I'm sure he's willing to help. We hope you're well and we'll catch you again in a couple of weeks. Bye for now. Hey, dear listener. Thanks for tuning into another episode of the Career Builders podcast. If you love the show and want to help us spread our message further and reach new listeners, would you consider leaving a rating and review of TCBP on Apple podcasts? Without a doubt, your help would be much appreciated. On behalf of Lisa and myself, thanks. Bye for now.